Bridge Youth, how y'all doing tonight? Hey, can we say thank you to this amazing worship team leading us in worship tonight? They came off of three straight weeks of leading that camp, and still here they are coming to lead for us tonight. They'll be back up to lead us in worship a little bit more in just a little bit. So, hey, let me just say real quick, thank you so much for being here tonight. Y'all started school today. <laughs> Excuse you. My tax dollars are paying for that. Hey, um... But seriously, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Uh, we don't take it lightly that you chose to spend some of your time here with us this evening. And so we appreciate you coming and spending some of your time here with us at Bridge Youth. Um, we love meeting new people. Like seriously, it's one of our favorite things in the whole world. And we like welcoming new people every single week by saying we are here to build you up, not... Yeah, you, we, like you don't have to believe to belong here. And I, I don't know um, if you've had church experience before, um, if you've ever been to church, but here we got one rule. If you're in the room, then you're family. So that's our rule. So thanks so much for coming in and hanging out with us tonight. We got a really, really special night planned for you. We're really excited about this evening. Uh, obviously, you see we had the guest team here. Um, who got some free ice cream? Come on now. I love ice cream. All right, really quick. Uh, uh, ice, ice cream or cake? My people. Okay, ice cream or froyo? All right. No clue what they said. I can't understand anything. I just hear ah. And hey, um, thanks so much for coming to hang out. We got an awesome night tonight planned for you. Um, we have we have one of my favorite preachers in the house this evening. Any of you who are at summer camp, you know this man. He is he is phenomenal. Um, he. He reigns all the way from Manchester, UK. Is it UK or England? Or Great Britain? Or England? Manchester, England. Uh, he's a football fan. Football, soccer. He's a football fan. He loves Manchester United so much. It's his favorite football team on the planet. Um, afterwards, come up to him and talk to him about how great Manchester United is and let him know Everton is... Um, God awful. I'm just kidding. I don't even, I'm not even a football fan. But Everton, it's his team. He's so odd, man. I love this guy. And here's what I love. Here's what I love about this man. Um, the first times that we got to do ministry um, with Paul, we were at summer camp, and, and the dude, like, he grabs a microphone, and he's a beast. He's, a, he's like a phenomenal preacher. Hey, if anybody wants to grab these seats up here, you guys are welcome to. They got reserved signs on, but, on them, but they're reserved for you. So feel free to grab these if you want them. Um, he is a beast when it comes to preaching. But what I love about this man is he is a better, um, he's better off the stage than he is on the stage. And when we had him at camp and stuff with us, uh, every time I, I look over my shoulder, he's hanging out with students. He, he's, he's, he's off the stage praying with students. He's during free time, he's over playing, playing soccer with students and spending time with students and all of that. And, and as a youth pastor, like that just shows like, yo, this, this guy's in this for real and he loves youth ministry. Um, he, is, he is married, sorry ladies, he is married. Um, I don't know, Lu, Lu, I know Lucas race, relational status is currently taken, but there's no ring on, I'm just kidding. Lucas is taken, um, Noah. Taken, okay. Solomon is married. Um, Garrett, taken. Wow, Faith, taken. Sorry, guys, I'm not helping you out. But Jez is still here. Jez is in the back. He's still single. <laughs> he doesn't go back to England till Friday. 
But man, he, Paul, is, Paul is married to an amazing, amazing woman named Zoe. He's, he's got three kids. Uh, he's got three kids. Um, he's got a, a, a son named Riley, who many of you know and love. He's got another son named Parker. And he's got a daughter named Willow, who is the cutest little girl. Here's how cute Willow is. I can't hang out with Willow for too long because then I start having thoughts of like, I want a daughter. I need to have a daughter. She's so cute, but my daughter would not come out with an English accent like Willow. So, <laughs> shut up, you guys. <laughs> we want kids. But, but yo, really, 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 um, Paul is a phenomenal father. He's like, he's a better dad and a better husband than he is a pastor. And that's one of the things that makes him such a great pastor and such a great preacher. Um, I love this man. And get this, you guys, he flies back home the day after tomorrow. And one of the last things that he chose to do in the States here was to preach to us here at Bridge Youth. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? Would you put your hands together? Welcome to the platform, the one and only Paul Reed. Hello, everybody. This guy's, oh, here you go. Let me trade you. That's the actual preaching mic. That one's got the anointing on it. Hello. Everybody good? I'm going to read to you from the Bible in just a moment. Don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but uh, it isn't actually one book. It's t uh, many, many books. The whole book that you may have in your hand or on your phone is kind of seems like one book, but there's many books inside it. And I want to read just a sentence, we call them verses, just a verse from one of the books in the Bible. This book takes the form of a letter. It's a letter to some Christians. Before I do that, though, I need your help because I want to uh, send some love to a few people in this room while I have the opportunity. And so we're going to do that together through the medium of... Uh, a round of applause and cheering and shouting. First of all, to uh, someone who really has been like a third son to me and Zoe for the last 12 months, a little bit of bridge youth has been in Manchester and spent a lot of time at my house. And I want to say thank you to you and also send some love to Kenneth Macau. He has really been like a son to us and a brother to my children, and we want to say thank you because you are a total legend, and we love you very much. And also his family, I know Kevin is here, and also Mr. and Mrs. McCow are in the house. I just want to say well done. I've met two of your children, and they're both awesome. So unless the other ones are terrible, you've done a fantastic job of raising children. Uh, also, I want to just, uh, one of you could help me just send some love to your amazing youth pastors, Corey and Amber. They will be coming to see us in Manchester in October, and so we're going to rip their passports up, and they're going to stay with us forever. No, I'm just joking. Um, but if you want to come with them, they said they'll pay for you, so that'll be good if you want to come to... No? Awesome. Right. All right. We've got just a few minutes. And as Elliot said, the worship team, in fact, let's give them some love too. They're so good. <laughs> Sounding fantastic. The worship team are going to be back up here on this stage and we're going to have what we call in Manchester, it's not an English word specifically, but I don't know how you 
describe this moment in church in America, but in England we call it an encounter, a God encounter. And I am passionate about that word because I know that one encounter with Jesus changes everything. And so I'm going to talk less and we're going to encounter God more, but I want to set us up for a God encounter. Is that okay? How do you like my jacket? You like it? Good, because I'm going to take it off because I'm absolutely boiling. No, but the thing, oh, and also you get to see my lovely tanned arms. No reaction. Okay, good. No, that's a new jacket, so I wanted to wear it just to show it off, but it's absolutely boiling up here, so. Corey, no, put it on, bro. Put it on. <laughs> Sounds so uh, weird to me when you say pants. Yeah, because pants means like underpants. Stop thinking about Corey's underpants. All right, we're going to get to the Bible quick. All right, are you ready? This is in Galatians chapter 5. Just a few words, okay? I see some of you are taking notes. Good job. It will help you remember what God says. You don't have to remember what I say, but while I'm speaking, I want you to listen for the voice of God. I would imagine it won't be an audible voice, but it will just be some things you start to think or feel in your heart. And that will be the voice of God speaking to you if it is in line with the Bible. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke or a trap of slavery. It is for freedom, the Bible says, that Christ has set us us free. This message is called Extraordinary Freedom. Extraordinary Freedom. And I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a look at this message tonight. Father, I pray that in these few moments that we have together in your presence, that you would speak to us. So thank you that you uh, love us so much that you don't want us to stay the same. You've got more for us. And so I'm praying, God, that in these few moments you will speak to us so that we can change. We're not going to change because we're rubbish or we're substandard, but we want to change because we know you've got even more in store for us to discover. And so, God, I pray you would change us from the inside out so that we can be not only living the life that you intended us to live, but that we'll be living a life of influence bringing change to the, the lives around us. As your word overflows from our hearts, it would impact others in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, that's the end of the message. Good night. No, it's not really. All right, so I was recently catching uh, what we call in Manchester the metro. Okay, the metro, which is a little bit like a train. I was recently, recently catching the train home from work and I was uh, just standing on the platform waiting for the metro, the tram, the train to come into the station so I could board the tram. Everyone say the tram. No, not tram. Say it like the Queen says it, tram. The Queen definitely doesn't say it like that, but anyway. The tram, I was waiting for the tram to come into the station so I could board the tram and I could get home so I could be at home for the evening. And I was on the platform and uh, I had a phone call on my phone. 
And so I took the call and I was a little bit distracted whilst on the phone to a friend back in the office. The tram pulled into the station while I was still on the phone. I stepped onto the tram. The doors closed behind me. The tram set off on the journey while I was still on the phone. I wasn't really paying attention because I was on the phone. Eventually, the phone call came to an end and I put my phone in my pocket and I looked around and I realized that there was something a little bit different about the tram on that evening. And the reason why it was different is because there was some seats, okay? There were some spare seats. Now, normally the tram that I get on, there's so full, there's no seats that you can sit on. They're already taken. In fact, there's no floor space that you can stand on. That's already taken. In fact, there's no oxygen that you can breathe because there's so many people on the tram. And so you literally stand so close to the other people on the tram that you can physically taste them while you're on. It is disgusting, right? But on this particular occasion, as I got off the phone, I realized not only could I not taste the people on the tram, I could breathe the air, although it wasn't too fresh. I could breathe it all by myself. And also, there were some spare seats. And I was like, yes. We say in England, get in there, right? It's like an expression of joy. Get in there. Say that with passion. There you go. Next time you get on the tram, which you will never do, but anyway, next time you get something goes well for you, just say, get in there. Yep. Say, okay, let me just break it down for you. Get in there. Just in case you were like, what's a get in there? Three separate words. All right. Something goes well. What are you going to say? Get in there. So I did that. I was like, get in there. Sat down in the seat. And I did what we all do in 2019 when we have a spare second. I took up my phone and I began to play a game. And so as we were cruising down, I noticed a couple of things out of the window that I thought were unfamiliar. And I started to think, you know what? Uh, Maybe the tram is taking a different route tonight. And it was going through some stations, through some stops with some unusual names. Uh, And I started to think, you know what? This is a weird tram. Eventually, what happened was I realized that whilst I was distracted by the phone call, I had gotten on the wrong tram. And we were going very fast in the wrong direction to the point where I had no idea where we are. The the good thing about the tram is if you're on the wrong one, you just get off, you go down underneath the, the little subway thing, come back up the other side, get on and go back in the opposite direction. No problem. But what happened on this day without being too Uh, disgusting is there was a major incident on the line because someone had jumped in front of the tram. So everybody, everybody on the tram had to get off the tram, but we couldn't get back on and go in the opposite direction because the line had been closed because of the guy squished under the tram. So now I'm in a place that I have no idea where it is. Now it was in Manchester, but you've got to understand When you're used to driving with sat-nav and all of that, and also getting the tram and all this, like it was completely unfamiliar. I had gotten on the wrong train and ended up in completely the wrong destination, so much so that I had no idea what to do and where to go. I had to ring some of my friends who were much younger than me. You have to understand, most of my friends are at least 10, if not 15 years younger than me, which makes them still at least 10 years older than most of you. But even still, I've rang some of my younger friends and said, how do you get the bus from like this town to where? And they talked me through it. The reason why I'm telling you that slightly uh, 
strange, seemingly irrelevant story is because it's really easy for us to miss the point. It's easy for us in life, and especially when it comes to the Word of God, especially when it comes to the things of faith, for us to miss the point. It seems as though, from this verse that we just read in Galatians chapter 5, that God is saying to humanity, Hey guys, you missed the point. You got on the wrong tram, you went in the wrong direction, and where you've ended up is a million miles away from where I wanted you to be. The reason why I say that is because this verse says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I don't know if you understand much about the English language, but it is a crime against grammar to use one word to describe the same word. For example, if I was to say, it's so hot in here, it's really hot. You'd be like, what? You need to mix up your uh, vocabulary. You would say, it's so hot in here, it's boiling, right? You can't use one word to describe itself. It's grammatically incorrect. You can't say, it's so cold in here that it's just like really cold. See? has no pizzazz. When you say it like that. But when you read this verse, <clears throat> sorry, my voice just broke again. <clears throat> when you read this verse, it's like God is saying freedom and free in the same sentence. But the reason why the, the Bible says this is because I think God wants humanity to, everybody in the room, do me a favor, sit up straight. Sit up straight. Take your, we call this in England, your backside. Put your backside at the, at like at the back of the chair. Okay, and then either sit up straight or lean forward like you're ready to go. Okay, no, not too far forward so you're like this because then you'll fall asleep. Everybody sit up, sit up, nice and straight, nice and straight. God wants you to hear something tonight, Bridge Youth. <laughs> okay, good yarn, good job. <laughs> this girl was like this for a good 13 seconds. I was feeling the gravitational pull right then. I was like, ah, stop me. Such a small person with a really large yawn. Like my wife, she's small but powerful. It's all good. Good things come in small packages. And so does poison. Not that you're that. What are we talking about? You put me off. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, that's not the point of this message. He's not sitting up straight. <laughs> God wants you to know something tonight. And that is, and that's right, because I haven't told you what God wanted you to know, because I nearly got sucked into that yawn. <laughs> God wants you to know something tonight, that there is a purpose for the freedom that he has given to you. There is a purpose for the freedom that he has given to you. And the purpose of you being free is so that you can live free. The purpose of you being free is so that you can live free. It sounds almost like you're saying the same thing twice, but let me describe it to you this way. There is a purpose to me. If you were in a box, 
You were shut in a box and it was taped and it was chained and it was set in concrete and it was at the bottom of the ocean. But I, like Superman, came down and broke you out and opened the box. The point of me doing that is not so that you can stay in the box. The point of me setting you free in that instance is so that you can get out of the box and then live free. This verse here makes it sound to me like Christ has paid the price for your freedom, but yet so many of us don't live in that freedom. You are free. This message isn't going to make you free. This youth group isn't going to make you free. This church isn't going to make you free. Jesus already made you free. The cross, right? The cross, the, uh, the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter was a once and for all price paid by God for your freedom. You came in tonight free. You will leave tonight free. But this message is not about making you free. I don't have the power to do that. But what I want to help you see is that there is a point or a purpose to the freedom that you have. And it is so that you can live free. So many Christians. Now you have to understand, I've been doing this for a long time. I am 43 in two weeks time. I became a Christian when I was 16. And so for the last... Twenty-seven years, for the last 27 years, I've been speaking to Christians about the awesome life that we get to live when we found freedom in Christ. And let me tell you, for all of those 27 years, I have met so many free people who are not living free. They could be old, been in church all their life, still not living free. They are free but they're not living free. They could be young and have only been church a few weeks and even though they found God or God found them, they have freedom, they're still not living free. And it would be a crime, Pastor Corey, it would be a crime, Pastor Amber, if we came together every Wednesday night and celebrated the freedom that Christ paid for us, but then we walked out of the room and lived not free all week, until we came back for a little bit of taste of freedom on a Wednesday, sing some songs and do some games and have a little small group discussion all about the freedom. I want to be free, 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 free diddly dee. <laughs> we'll then spend Thursday, maybe through to just Sunday morning for those of us that are lucky enough to come to Bridge Church on a Sunday. And we're like, whoo, so glad to be back in the freedom. Then leave church and live not. Listen, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. This leads to an eternal question. A question that both Christians and non-Christians, and you could be in either of those two camps tonight and still have the same question, Here's the killer question that generations of Christians and non-Christians have been asking when it comes to this critical issue of the love of God. Here's the question. If I am free, why do I still struggle? Christians in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, ask this question. If I am free, if Christ died to set me free, 
If I'm free, why do I still struggle? Non-Christians, people who don't believe in God, people who don't go to church, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're asking the same question about the church. They're looking at the church going, if you guys are free, why are you so messed up? Why are you not living free? If like, Why do you still struggle? And I feel like God has given me an answer, or maybe a few answers, although we won't have time to do them all. A few answers to that question that in a God encounter, in literally just 10 or 15 minutes from now, I believe a God encounter could not make us free because we're already free, but actually can empower us, put almost like tools in our hands so that we not only can be free, but we can spend Monday to Friday living free. Because the influence of Bridge Youth is actually limited to your ability to live free. Because nobody wants to join something and still be not free, even if the thing that they join has the headline over the top free. But if you're in it and you're still not free, what's the point? Whereas if we understand the power of understanding that it was for freedom that Christ set us free, then that changes everything. Let me tell you, A really quick one, then we'll do the main one and then we'll finish. Here's an answer to the question, if I am free, why do I still struggle? And maybe you might think, what do you mean by struggle? So maybe you could replace struggle with some of these. If I'm free, why do I still get angry? If I'm free, why can't I break that habit that I just keep coming back to? If I'm free... Why can I not make relationships work? If I'm free, why do I go from relationship to relationship, never quite letting people get close? Or when I do let people get close, I push them away. If I am free, why do I overeat? If I am free, why am I so angry? If I am free, why do I reject people? If I am free, why am I so insecure? Here's one answer. Sometimes I believe that we struggle because it's easier. Now, that sounds a little bit weird. Easier? What do you mean it's easier? But there's such a thing in, uh, in the criminal justice system as what we call institutionalization. And what happens in institutionalization is when someone has been in captivity, they've been in prison or in jail for such a long time that the safety and security that that brings, even though it's restrictive, even though it holds you back and all your privileges are taken away, people get out of jail and they miss the security of the prison. Sounds ridiculous, but in actual fact, in prison, you don't have to work. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's nice, I'm not saying it's great, I don't want to go there, but there's such a thing as this institutionalization where prison is easier because I get food, I get everything provided, the routine. When I get out into the big wide world, I don't like it, and so people re-offend, not because they want to commit a crime, but because they want to go back. It's so easy for us, right, in our lives to get almost used to our pain. We almost get used to our dysfunction to such a degree that we would never say it out loud and we probably would never consciously think it, but we actually subconsciously like it. Because it's familiar, because it's... You know what? Sometimes I think it gives us a little bit of attention and we like it. And so it's easier for us to stay in captivity. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the story of the child with his father who went to the circus. And they were looking at all the performing animals and they were walking by where the elephant 
the huge performing elephants were, and there was this giant elephant that was tied by its leg, its back leg, with a little tiny rope to a stake in the ground, just about this big and, you know, maybe this high, sticking out the ground, and the elephant was tied to it, and the little kid said to his dad, Dad, why does the elephant not just break the rope? Surely that, like, that's, that's easy. And so the dad asked the elephant keeper, why doesn't the elephant break the rope? And so the elephant keeper said to them, you know what? That rope has been tied, that elephant has been tied with that rope to that stake every night since it was a baby. And when it was a baby, it was more powerful. The rope and the stake was more powerful than the baby elephant. And so inside his head, he always believed that the rope and the stake was more powerful. Now he's big and powerful and could snap the rope and snap the stake in just like a split second. But he's become so used to it, this circle, if you imagine a rope from here going out to my leg, there would be a circle inside which I would always remain and I could walk this way or that way, and I, would always, and I would never leave the circle. That circle has become my security, it's become my confidence, it's become my home. And we make home in captivity emotionally. We make home in captivity because the thought of going beyond it actually scares us. So what do you do when you've got used to your pain? What do you do when your, your story of adversity has become your identity. Well, there's a verse in Isaiah 54. It says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. All you have to do to break out of that circle is not go miles out, but just take one step outside of what you've always been inside of. There's people in church tonight you're not a Christian. You just come here because like, it's cool and there's good people and there's a great community and I'm so glad that you do. But I reckon tonight God's going to challenge you. The voice of God is going to challenge you to take a step outside. You've been inside this circle for weeks. You've been inside this circle for months. And every time it comes to the God bit, you're like, well, I'm just going to stay inside this circle. It's okay. It's comfortable. It's happy. It's good. It's fine. It's no problem. But I'm telling you, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. This stake, this rope has no power over you. And all you have to do when Corey says, hey, is anyone in the room tonight that wants to accept Jesus for the first time? You don't have to sign your life away. Change your outfit. Change your personality, do your hair a different way, become someone that sings instead of talks, hello, how are you, no, 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 you don't have to do any of that, you just have to take one step outside of what you used to know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I think I can do this, and your circle gets a little bit wider, and then the next time something comes along, and some one of your friends, maybe there's people in here tonight, you're a Christian, you love God, you're walking with God, but don't talk, don't get me to tell my mates about it, don't, don't, I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to lose followers. So don't, like, don't get me to at camp. Some of us, we sent text messages to some of our non-Christian friends saying, next time you see me, let me tell you something about God. That was a step outside of the circle moment for some people who were like, I liked it over there. Everyone followed me on Instagram over there. It was cool over there. But now I've gone outside of the circle. I've taken a risk. And I already know there's some stories about what God has been doing through those text messages. The tool to get you out of this reason why we struggle, it's easier, is really what I call lengthen and strengthen. And it's taken from that verse from Isaiah 54. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite some people in the room 
to come forward if you want us to pray for you. And for some people in this room, it will be the first time you've ever done it. It will be awkward. It may even feel embarrassing, but I believe God's going to help you go. I'm just going to go one step further. When we worship, some of you are going to go, okay, I'm going to get off the back row. I'm going to walk to the front. Because the front is holy? No. No. Well, because the back is familiar. Nothing holy about the front. What's going to make it significant is for you, it's because you're normally at the back. That doesn't mean all you people are normally at the front need to go and sit at the back either. I'm just saying. Here's the second one, and this is where we're going to come into land. If I am free, why do I struggle? The second reason why people struggle is because of their roots. I struggle because of my roots. Let me read this verse to try and explain what I mean. Ephesians chapter 3, this is in the New Testament again, written by the same guy that wrote the verse at the start of this message. He's writing a letter to some Christians. And he says these words, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, listen to these words, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Just focus in on this sentence for a minute. It's the back half of verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Listen to this. What you are rooted in has power over you. What you are rooted in has power over you. This verse is saying, if you are rooted in the love of God, you may have power to understand how deep and wide and how awesome God's love is so that you can know everything that God has for you to know. But the problem is, we allow the roots of our heart to go down into the soil of our circumstances instead of the love of God. And what your roots go down into grows an established belief about yourself and the world and that trunk then grows branches and fruit that are our behaviors let me show you this diagram of a tree I think I hope I pray on this diagram you can see here I'm going to refer to this one back here the roots here have gone down gone down into the soil of our circumstances what grows out of those roots is an established belief. The trunk of the tree is an established belief about yourself. Um, just switch to the other tree. There you go. Established belief about yourself, and that leads to branches or fruit that are our behaviors. So let me just go through some of these examples that are on this diagram here. So if the soil of your circumstances are something negative, like you can see on here, it says being bullied. On this left-hand side over here, it says being bullied. It says shame. It says negative body image. You could put into those circumstances some kind of rejection. You could put into those some circumstances some kind of abuse, some kind of trauma, some kind of thing that happened to you, some kind of thing that was said about you. In, if you allow the roots of your heart to go down into that soil, what happens is there are some beliefs established in your heart about you and about the world that you live in 
And out of those beliefs comes the kind of behaviors that will send you to therapy 10 years from now. But there's no point trying to deal with the fruit if you first don't deal with the root. You could chop all of the branches off that tree so there was no fruit. But eventually, because of the roots, branches would grow again. Go ahead, Garrett, wherever you are. Come up, bro. Behaviors like depression, sometimes anxiety, self-harm, suicidal thoughts. I mean, these are extreme, but you understand the, the concept that I'm trying to show you here. When I was a kid, something happened to me. And I allowed my heart, the, the roots of my heart, to go down into those circumstances. I chewed them over in my brain. I thought about them. And before long, what I started to believe about myself is I'm not worth it. I started to believe that people just don't like me. When people get close, what they discover, they don't like. So then what I started to do was I started to become insecure. Then I started trying to people please. Then I started worrying about everything I said and the way I looked and the way I acted and the way I thought. And I was living my whole life on the basis of what other people thought. And the truth is it wasn't their fault. It's because the roots of my heart had gone down into the soil of something that happened to me when I was younger. And it established a belief about me that I could not shake. There's one thing that you can do to change the roots of your heart. It's called a God encounter. Why do we have praise and worship every week? Why do we have praise and worship every Sunday? Why? It's because there's nothing like the presence of God to encounter Him and His Holy Spirit in a way that just catches those roots even before they take root. I'm not talking about just the big Hollywood stories of the people who've got involved in addiction and abuse and all those kind of things. Maybe you do have that kind of story. Well, there are many people that don't even have that, but something can happen throughout the week. Somebody says something, somebody does something. Your parents let you down. A, a, a trusted person talks about you behind your back or you don't get invited to the thing or you get excluded, whatever it might be. And the more you just allow the roots of your heart to go down into that, You start to convince yourself that you're not good enough. You start to convince yourself that you're not worth it. Then you start attention seeking. Then you start doing and saying and thinking. And the only time you really yourself is when you put your head on the pillow at night. But you think yourself is so naff that you, I don't know, cry yourself to sleep sometimes. If we put the other slide back on, it's a bit more positive. Let's say instead of the soil of our circumstances, we allow our roots to go down into the truth of the Word of God, into the love of God. I pray that you being rooted in the love of God and established, which means the beliefs I have about myself and about the world are based on the truth of the love and the Word of God. What that means is, is then my behavior is generous, friendly, kind, okay with being vulnerable, looking to serve and help others. Now that sounds like the church. That sounds like Bridge Youth making a difference in school every day. That sounds like not just being free, but actually living free. 
The problem is though, and I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a moment. The problem is though, is that when you become a Christian, God does not arrive in a DeLorean time machine in order to take you back through your life to these instances from the past to make them go away. I've never met a Christian who's gone back in time after meeting Jesus with a giant eraser and just gone back into the past and go, oh, that painful thing, there you go, let's deal with that, that didn't happen. Let's go to that time in school when someone bullied you. We'll just remove that from your life. So many times we're trying to pray, put the negative tree back up if you can. So many times we're going back trying to like deal with this stuff and God, if you just made it so that that didn't happen, then I wouldn't be this way. It's not my fault, it's because of what happened. And we want God to remove from our past the things that's happened. I'm sorry to tell you that God is not going to remove it. But here's the amazing thing about God. The things that we want Him to remove, He actually wants to redeem. Now the reason why that's significant if you don't know what the word means is because God is not just going to make it go away so it didn't happen. You don't become uh, like a like a robot version, like a zombie version of a, of a previous you when, you when you encounter God. You're still you. He made you that way. He loves you that way. But what he does is he, he will allow you to revisit those things in the past. And instead of removing them, he'll redeem them, which means he will make them have a different meaning. Let me tell you this quick story. It's about my wife. Her name's Zoe. This is Stan's story. There's a picture. Here you go. This is my wife here in the slightly uh, wonderful home-knit cardigan just over here, uh, that's her sister Jessica, and in the background there, that is uh, her dad, his name's Stan, I've never met Stan, put the other one on quickly, because there you go, there's Zoe in a bikini, she'll be so glad that I showed you that, okay, quickly get that off, because we don't want to look at Stan's white shorts for very long, put the other one back, okay, that, that's better, I've never met Stan, because when I met Zoe, he had already been dead for several years, but when Zoe was 13, her dad had cancer, and he was really poorly and they weren't Christians, they didn't go to church, they didn't believe in God, but they were desperate because Stan was really ill. One day Zoe's mom, her name's Sue, we call her Granny Sue. Uh, she was going to work and there was a lady who came into work for one day. She was only there for one day. She was like covering someone else who was sick, this lady, her name's Denise Green. And she said to Sue, hey, you seem a bit sad, what's up? Sue said, well, you know, my husband, Stan, he's dying. He's got cancer. And she said, let me tell you about Jesus. She told Sue all about Jesus. She was like praying to Buddha, Elvis, Spider-Man, literally anyone who would listen. She was praying to all of them. She was like, okay, I'll give Jesus a shot. She went to church, had an amazing God encounter, became a Christian. She went home. She said, Stan, you've got to come to church. Stan was like, no, I don't want to come. She said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for you. Girls, talking about my wife Zoe and her sister Jess. Girls were going to go to church. The girls went to church. They became Christians. After a year of asking and Stan's health deteriorating, Stan agreed to go to church. First time he went in church, didn't move, didn't flinch, didn't react, didn't do anything. But over time, God began to soften his heart to the point where eventually Stan said, you know what, I believe in Jesus. He became a Christian, got his heart set free. The reason why I'm telling you the story is because I want to talk to you about scars scars Zoe has a scar on her thumb 
It's a scar from the moment her dad died. He had, they had a hospital bed in their house because he was so ill. There was nothing the hospital could do. And so he had this bed in, his house, in their house. And her mom and her sister went out and Zoe was in the house on her own. And he had this episode. And they'd been taught what you have to do if he had this episode. You had to do these things. And they'd been trained on all these different things. One of the things that you had to do was to try and stop him from choking on his tongue. And so he had this episode. And Zoe clambered up the bed, put her thumb in her dad's mouth to try and stop him from choking. And he reacted because it was convulsing and, and he bit her thumb and then he died I was really sad and she was only 14 and the thing is when I met Zoe after we started going out with each other and we eventually kind of got serious I said to her one night I was like what's that scar and she told me the story of her dad dying and I was like crying I'm like oh babe I'm so sorry Eventually, she, she decided she wanted to get a tattoo when we had kids. And I was like, oh, baby, you're going to get the, the, the tattoo on your thumb to cover your scar? She said, no. I said, oh, why? She said, well, for a long time, this scar meant to me, it meant sad, pain. Why me? It's not fair. She said, but over the last 10 years of my life, as God has been faithful and God has blessed me and the favor of God has been in my life, now this scar, when I look at it, I don't think, why me? I think, thank God that you got me through. When I look at this scar now, I think, wow, if dad didn't get sick, I would have never gone to church. I would have never got saved. I would have never met you. Paul Reed. We'd never got married. We'd never had this kid in the third row. Willow, who Corey was talking about before, she wouldn't even exist. So now when she sees the scar, she doesn't want to cover it up. Because what, what we want God to remove, remove my scars, God. He's like, no, but I will redeem it. I'll now give it a different meaning. The Bible says that Jesus, right? Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus has scars. Isn't that insane? Jesus, the Bible says, came to earth, lived the perfect life, died the ultimate death on a cross, then resurrected from the dead. You would think if you were Jesus Christ, King of Kings, you would come back with like a fresh, clean, abs, straight teeth, golden head. Like you would be like the bomb. You would have a perfect body. But the Bible says that after he'd been raised from the dead, he said to his disciples, look at my scars. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation, which is like a, it's like a vision of heaven, Right? The Bible says there is a lamb in heaven. When we see the word lamb in the Bible with a capital L, it's talking about the lamb of God, Jesus. It's to do with sacrifice. It doesn't matter. Just trust me. It's talking about Jesus. It says there is a lamb, capital L, in heaven with the appearance of being slain. In other words, it looks like he's been slain. How do you know if someone's been slain? It's because they're full of scars. So right now, I don't know how this works. My theology is like blowing out of my brain here while I'm thinking about this. But right now in heaven, Jesus has scars. This is so awesome. Two things about that that are awesome. And then I promise we're going to pray. In Isaiah 53, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes... In other words, by his scars, we are healed. Oh my gosh. 
the scars on Jesus' hands, when he looks at them now, right now in heaven, when he looks at scars, he doesn't think, oh, I remember that. It really hurt. You know what Jesus thinks about when he sees those scars? You. Because by those scars, you are healed. How do I know? Oh, it gets even better. In Isaiah 49, it says this in verse 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You, you cannot have understood what I just said. Let me read that again. See, I have, engra- I have engraved you. In other words, Jesus has written, engraved on the palm of his hands, your name. When he looks at the scars on his wrist, right next to the scar, your name and mine. He's redeemed it. Doesn't mean pain anymore. Doesn't mean I remember them plucking my beard out. Doesn't mean I remember them when they took the skin off my back. He looks at the scars, he remembers you. Now when Zoe looks at the scar, she goes, God can get me through. So there's healing for other people in Zoe's scar. Now what she does every week, almost every day of every week, my Zoe sits across the table from different people, a different person every day nearly, and she sits and looks them in the eye, and they may be going through challenges, they may be going through struggles. She looks them, and she doesn't look at the scar, she doesn't tell them about her dad, but she knows in her heart, he can get you through this because he got me through it. She's like, I don't want to remove the scar. That scar's like a, I'm proud of my scar people in the room tonight and you've got scars some of them are physical scars probably but I know many of us we have emotional scars and we may have been praying for God to remove them but we're going to just respond to God right now we're going to pray for you it's not going to take all night we don't have to do it for 15 minutes 20 minutes you know shouting and spitting and sweating we're just going to come forward we're going to respond to God we're going to pray for you and in that God encounter the scars that you have He's not going to remove them. I actually do have stories of people in our church who have self-harm scars that God actually did remove. So I'm not saying he can't do it. But whatever. If he does, a miracle. But what God's going to do is going to redeem it. So everybody in the room, close your eyes and stand to your feet. Band are going to come and join me. We're going to sing a worship song together. And some of you are going to stay in your seat. You're going to worship God with all your heart. And I'm praying that you have a moment of response with God where you are. But there are some people. And you're actually going to get out of your seat. You're going to walk to the front. And you're going to say, I'm sick of being free, but not living free. You've allowed the roots of your heart to go down into the soil of some circumstances or some some words that have been spoken, some trauma, some things that's happened. Some of you got so used to being in this situation that it's part of who you are, but it was never part of God's plan for your life, that it would be the reference point from there on in. And those of you in this room, you've been praying for God to remove it. You need to know tonight that if you just let go and let God do what he does, he's going to redeem that thing. Not only are you going to be able to talk about it without crying, without wincing, without that pain in your mind. You're going to be able to listen to that song, smell that smell, hear that word. Without going back to that thing in pain, you're going to be on the hunt for other people who maybe have been through the same thing. So you can tell them, hey, you can get through it too. I have no idea what song we're doing. They have told me four times and I've still forgot. But we're going to sing a song. I'm praying that it will be a worship song. Pretty sure it will be. 
while we're singing this song, I'm not going to ask you what it's for. I'm not going to ask you for what it's about. In fact, probably I'm not going to pray for you because this is no-nonsense stuff. But I've got some friends. I've got some leaders. They're going to stand. Guys, if if you're leaders and you're going to pray for people, don't stand behind them. I want you to stand in front of them and look them in the eye and say, you're free. And I want you to pray for them. And we're going to believe that in this encounter, remember, you're already free. Stay in your seat because you're free. But if you want to live free every day, some of you need to respond to God. So I'm going to ask you when we start to sing to come forward. If you come forward, we're going to assume that means you want us to pray for you. If you just came forward to stretch your legs, then we're going to pray for you anyway. We're going to pray for you. At the end of that, we're probably all going to come up here and just have, I don't know, a bit of a praise party for a second or two. I know it's 8.34. Maybe we could go to 8.36. Maybe. Oh, there's people moving. Oh, they're the prayers. Okay, that's good. I thought that was security coming to get me off with a stick. Shut up, Reed. Anyway, shh, come back, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. Father, in this moment of response, I thank you that you know every single individual person's circumstances, the internal dialogue of their heart that no one else knows about, you know about it. God, I thank you that all the behaviors that we think define us, they actually don't. Because right now we're going to choose to allow the love of God and the word of God and the truth of the word of God and the power of the presence of the spirit of God to change us in such a way that we will not just be free, but we will live free. It is for freedom that you set us free. So God, give us courage. Give us that insane 20 seconds of courage just to respond to you right now. So the rest of our lives will not be defined by what's happened to us, but by what happened for us when you paid the price on the cross. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship God together. You respond as soon as you want.